Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, Premier League. Liverpool march on towards the Championship. Same for West Ham. League Cup. Surprisingly faithful recreation of corporate culture as City Boys post surprise loss but still get the villa. We round up all the midweek drama and have a big look forward to the weekend and a thorough roundup of the transfers. All the big moves featuring players we've definitely heard of before that your club has insisted on buying in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Live and in the studio, bringing you facts and stats and all that. We've got Duncan Alexander. Hello, James. Hi, Duncan. Uh, speaking of villas, uh, James Horncastle, just back from Florence. <laughs> yes, James. Nice. And Nick Miller, you went to the east end of London. I did. Less villas there. Fewer villas there. Fewer villas. I say James Horncastle, but I'm looking at you with your beard and your thick glasses and your long hair. Looks suspiciously like a famous footballer in disguise. Ah, De Rossi, yes. you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, This was the story of the week for me because Daniele De Rossi had always dreamed of going to the Rome derby well, standing in the Curva Sud and watching it among the Roma ultras and because he's a Roma hero, um, yeah, he gets mobbed everywhere he goes. So he couldn't do that. Um, instead, though, his yep. wife decided that because she's an actress bring a film makeup artist in and basically concoct this big disguise for him. Spent hours in the makeup chair so no one could recognise him. I, I, yeah, you saying I that I look like the kind of person actually. that Daniel De Rossi became right. in disguise with yeah. the, the beard, the long hair, quite grey, big the, nose. That was the joke. Yeah. They, right. put, uh, they put yeah. a wart Bruce. on his nose, didn't they? They Which, put a wart on his nose, mm. yeah, it's true. He was kind of cat weasel-esque, he said, <laughs> in a reference destined to <laughs> fall. This just gets <laughs> better and better, James. <laughs> Jack, uh, Jack Lang of this parish said he looked a lot like Jay Massis from uh, Dinosaur Jr. That's a relatively niche reference, but um, look it up. Jack nailed that one. All right, then. Uh, four games since we last spoke. Arsenal Too got... much football, James. I mean, enough football. Four, four big games in three big competitions. FA Cup, Arsenal get the win at Bournemouth. Liverpool take another step towards the title Wednesday in front of Nick Miller. And ooh, two League Cup semi-final second legs as Villa made it through to their first final in 10 years to take on Man City, who haven't been in the final for 12 months. Trezeguet uh, with an extra time goal. We've seen that before. We have. <laughs> right. Let's begin then with the League Cup. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Wednesday night in the League Cup semi-final. Man United with a 1-0 win over Man City who still go through 3-2 on aggregate to their third League Cup final in a row. Their fourth one in five years. Wow. They certainly enjoy League Cup finals, don't they? <laughs> I guess they do. It's weird, though. I remember being a kid and, and looking back and seeing that Liverpool got to four in a row in the 80s and thinking, oh, I wonder what it was like to live through such a period of fairly moribund consistency. And now we know. Um, and it's, yeah, it, oh, it's late February, early March. City must be in the League Cup final, and, and there they are. On the subject of the team that actually won this game, and hear me out here, but that's now two victories at the Etihad that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has engineered. Plus, he's the only man to take points off Liverpool in the league. Yeah, manager of the year in many respects. <laughs> in, in some respects, possibly not. I mean, he's only the third manager to ever win two away games against Pep Guardiola after Jose Mourinho and Jurgen Klopp. But, I mean, yeah, 11% of United's wins this season have come at the Etihad, which is a <laughs> wow. hashtag nice touch. Interesting. How much, though, Duncan, was this new beginnings for United or how much was it poor finishings for City? Yeah, pretty much the latter, really. I mean, they, they seem to be on a competition to see who could make the most ridiculous miss. And um, who won, do you think? Uh, I think in terms of quantity, Sterling probably got there. And he obviously he's got this record he's never scored against Manchester United and it did almost seem to be playing on his mind at points. Mm. He was he was spurning some, some great chances and Kevin De Bruyne was getting frustrated with his entire team at various points. There was a point... Right at the end, so United 1-0 up. Basically, Otamendi commits a foul right in the D. Um, and there's an amazing clip of De Bruyne just looking at him like a, a dad, very disappointed with his child. He's like, what are you doing? Like Basically, United down to 10 men after Matic was sent off. Didn't really look like they were going to get the second goal that would take it to penalties. Um, and then they were presented with an amazing chance. So. That, I mean, that was very much the, the, the theme of 
Kevin De Bruyne's post-match interview as well. He was he just gave off a vibe of I can't believe I have to share a pitch with these idiots. So. Yeah, I don't really understand it. You know, for him, I mean, United did nothing today, and they score out of one free kick where the ball is not cleared really well, and then. Um, I think uh, even we didn't play our best football, it should have been like 3-0 after 5-15 minutes and then game over. But yeah, we, we, we were so wasteful today. My favourite miss, I think, was uh, David Silvers, right. which was just this kind of, it seemed to be the sort of natural extension of, the, of Pep Guardiola's teams being, you know, you must stick to the plan. You must not act on any instinct at all, even if that instinct is shooting with the, you know, <laughs> 10 yards out with the goal clear almost open for you. So in terms of new beginnings for Manchester United, James, an emphatic no. Right. What are Claudio Bravo's stats on conceding with the first shot on target again? He does it um, very regularly, and he did it again in this game. He's right. done it in, I think, the first shot he's faced uh, in every competition this season, pretty much. Wow. So, it's um, a talent. It's yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. It's softening I'd put that up on the my sizzle reel when I'd be like, you know, sort of pitching, mm. pitching myself to other clubs. Yeah, you say you there's not enough goal goals in football anymore? Well, <laughs> get me involved because, uh, yeah. Remarkable. Remarkable. Aguardiola says he will play in the final. So there's that, Who, uh, Villa Pat? fans. No, no, uh, Claudia Bravo. All right. Claudia Bravo. Okay, dramatic week for Man United. Aside from that win, there was also the extraordinary business of United fans throwing flares into Ed Woodward's garden, mm. which uh, you know has been rightly condemned. Yeah. Rightly condemned, although mm. I did see one person say, um, these aren't football fans. And I thought, well, that's a bit of a long shot if they're, if they're not. I mean, they are football fans. They're just misguided football fans. It's just the classic thing that everyone, everyone always says, and this was the kind of extreme example of it. These guys can't be real football fans. Well, what were they doing there if they weren't football fans? It'd yeah. be even weirder if they weren't football fans. <laughs> Maybe they're just neighbours of Ed Woodward who... Just don't. I don't know. Oh, do you think he kind of sort of leaves the bins in a messy I, fashion I outside or something? I don't know. Well, he might want planning permission know. for what a new greenhouse. Perhaps so. Parish council taking put, a dim view. He's put garden waste in the green bin. Oh, Woodward. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't want to make light of people throwing incendiary devices at the no. domicile of a, uh, especially one who's managed to successfully buy a football player uh, this week. Bruno Fernandez signed from Sporting Lisbon. Uh, for a lot of money, which may rise to even more money, mm. I think sixty-eight million is the is the potential fee. Played five years in Syria. How much of an impression did he make on you in five years in Syria, James? I think he only started to deliver on his potential when he moved to Sampdoria, um, and even then, it felt like they were cashing in quite cheaply on him um, at the time. And it was also a bit of a strange decision. We felt when he went from Samp to Sporting, going back to Portugal. Having said that, he'd never really played there um, and had spent a lot of his time in Italy with Novara and Udinese. But certainly he got flashes of um, his passing ability, his, his knack for the spectacular as well. But certainly haven't seen the kind of influential player that we come to associate him with at Sporting, where right. his numbers just kind of absolutely exploded and has seemed for, I'd say, two or three years to be much better um, than that league um, and has been, I think, deserving of a move. But yeah, I think it's still somewhat of a surprise that it's a move to a club of the size of United, but deserving, um, certainly deserving of a big move to one of Europe's top five leagues. All right, 25 years of age, player of the year in Portugal the last two seasons, set new records for scoring goals from midfield and he'll what slot into a kind of number 10 role behind a lone striker will he is that how yeah you'd think so or even play as an eight um play off one of the wings but i think united will have signed him to play off a main striker and, and offer both a kind of sense of invention and as we've mentioned goals as well mm. um united fans go to old trafford to be entertained and he's certainly one of those players that can can deliver that kind of entertainment well, we'll have more red-hot transfer talk coming up. But up next, Villa time. See Aguero last night? Yep. Oh, what a finisher. Eh? I don't know how he does it. Half the time I can barely finish my... Um, my um, um, Genesis? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I... Uh... Uh, Mint? Yeah. All right. Oh, is it me? Yeah. Uh, uh, to celebrate Aguero's finishing prowess, Paddy Power is offering money back as cash on all markets if he scores against Spurs. That's right, as cash. Money back specials from Paddy um, Power. Yeah. All markets on this match only. £10 max cash refund, pre-match singles, online exclusive, no shot bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. 
on Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Rousing scenes Tuesday night in the League Cup semi-final as Villa defeated Leicester 2-1 to reach the League Cup final for the first time in a decade. Emotional scenes, pitch invasion, clearly meant so much to them. How much did it mean? Let's now speak to Villa fan Dan Bardell of the 1874 podcast. Hi, Dan. Hi, mate. You okay? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Still, still buzzing from Tuesday. To be fair, right? You guys go to Wembley almost as much as Man City do, though. So why, why were, why were the celebrations so spirited? I think obviously the last two times we've been to Wembley, it's been for, for playoff games, for playoff finals, to try and get ourselves back into the Premier League. It, it kind of felt like on Tuesday that that we are back, that, that we're making a statement, that, that we're obviously a big name in English football, but we have been in the doldrums for a number of years. So. I think Tuesday was just just a big statement to say Aston Villa are back. We, we mean business. And for, for us, the League Cup's a, a trophy that we've had a, a big affiliation with over the years. I mean, when I was young, I saw us win that trophy twice in 1994 and 1996. And I thought that must be what it's like to be a Villa fan. This must happen every few years. And, and it hasn't happened. So we, we've, we've been um, starved a little bit of success since 1996. So just a chance to try and win some silverware is a massive thing for the Villa fan base. Right. You've been through a lot, clearly. Just out of interest, what, what has been the lowest point for you as a Villa fan in, in, in recent times? It has to be the season we went down with 17 points because I, I travel from London for every game, for, for every home game, got my season ticket, had it since I was seven. And I was travelling there every week, didn't miss a home game, knowing that we weren't going to win. And there was nothing to play for. It was just, it was the lowest of the, of the low. I mean, you don't need me to say 17 points out across the entirety of a Premier League season. It's, it's pretty miserable. And from then, we've, we've, we've had good seasons in the Championship. We've had good times. But just to be back in the Premier League, again, it, it's where we feel we belong. I mean, no one's got a divine right to be in the Premier League. But until then, we, we were ever-present. And we, we obviously think we're, we're a big club. So... To now bounce back and, and feel at the other end of the spectrum a little bit. Obviously, we're, we're in a relegation fight in, in the Premier League now, but this will give us a bit of momentum and it's, it's got the feel good back. That was what got us up last season. It was the feel good across that second half of the season. And hopefully, this getting to the final now will galvanise us through the second half of the Premier League campaign. Mm. It does look as though there's a little bit of an uptick in, in, in perform well, maybe not performances, but certainly results for Villa. Yeah, we're on a decent run at the moment. I mean, obviously, Man City, who I'm sure we're going to talk about, they thumped to 6-1 a few weeks ago. But since then, we've been very good. That could have completely derailed us. I was worried that that game was going to see us go on a massive losing streak, confidence low, but it's actually worked the other way around. We've sorted ourselves out. We've made ourselves a bit harder to break down. The three at the back formation seems to be working. Some of the players we bought in in the summer are settling in now. We've been playing without a striker for a month. We finally got a striker in. That's given the crowd a lift. And at the moment, we've got one of the best players in the Premier League in Jack Grealish. He's just absolutely unplayable at the moment. And, and as long as he stays fit, we've got a massive chance of ending the season well. Uh, it was impressive to see him, how well he came out of that kind of floppy-haired blonde contender for an England squad yeah. off with, with uh, James Madison. Uh, wonderful assist yeah. for Matt Target's goal. Yeah, I mean, they're both fantastic players. There should be room for both Madison and Grealish in, in the England squad. But I watch Jack play every week. I know how good he is. And he was excellent in the Championship last season. But it's just the productivity he's got now in the Premier League. He's taken his game up another level. He's found another gear that you wouldn't have perhaps known was there. I mean, I think he's been involved in 16 goals across the entirety of the season so far in terms of goal and assists, which is incredible in a struggling team. And if you just watch him, his dribbling and his close ball control has obviously always been a standout attribute. But his passing is something that goes completely unnoticed. The weight of the pass is perfect every time. The timing of the pass, the technique of the ball he put in for Samata in the second half that, that he should have done better with. It was just it was just Kevin De Bruyne-esque. And Jack Grealish, for me, he's not, he's not just got to be in the England squad. I think he's got to be in the England team because there is nobody else like him in the English game. Right. Just don't mess up his hair afterwards, though, eh? No, he doesn't like that. He, do, he doesn't like his hair being touched. Right, right. Uh, Bournemouth this weekend. Uh, how are you feeling about that, Dan? I'm, uh, 
I've gone the other way now. A, a month ago, I, I was dreading games, thinking we're not looking good here. Now, now I'm excited. We're we're on a decent run. To win that would, would would be massive because obviously you want you want to keep teams down there and try and build yourselves a, a little bit of a buffer. We drew with Brighton a, f- a few weeks ago. We, we beat Watford last week with the last gas victory. So we've generally done well in the games with the teams around us. So we just want to carry that on. And okay, they won their last game, but I think they're struggling with, with a few injuries. They're having a difficult season at the moment. So we've got to go there and play our football and try and capitalise and, and build ourselves a bit of a gap, like I say. But I'm, I'm confident that the, the result on Tuesday is only going to be good for us and it's only going to help us carry on that momentum. Just to finish off then, a difficult opponent for the uh, League Cup final against... Uh... Man City, who've beaten you in both Premier League games so far with an aggregate score of nine goals to one. But it's all good, whatever happens after a performance like that. Yeah, I mean, we played Leicester earlier on in the, in the Premier League season just before Christmas and, and they thumped us 4-1. And to be honest, it could have been 7 or 8-1 that day. But what Tuesday's actually done for us, it's proven that we can beat those, those top six teams. But I don't think we picked up a result against anyone in the upper echelons of the Premier League all, all season. So just the fact that we've proved that we can bounce back and beat a team that, that stumped us already this season. There's no reason now why we can't do the same against Man City, that they're a fantastic team. They can take anyone apart on their day. But they've had days this season where they haven't been fantastic. And you, you just hope on, on the big occasion that we'll, we catch them on an off day right. and, we, and we, have a, we have a good day. So... It's a bonus. I don't think many people would have expected us to be to be travelling back to Wembley this season. So it is a bonus game, but when you get there, you want to win. Dan Bardell of the 1874 podcast. Duncan, did Villa reach a cup final? I enjoyed this tweet from you. Because, mm. uh, you know, with the Dan and the, the Villa fans made up over their trip to Wembley. But this is an extraordinarily regular appearance for them. Yes, not always at Wembley. No. But... Villa are, I mean, Dan referenced it in, in the chat that they, you know, they are one of the historic clubs of English football and they've right. actually, re- apart from the 1930s, they've reached a major final. So 1880s, they yes. reached a major final. 1890s, they reached a major final. 1900s, there was the incident with the pigeon, etc. No, but apart from the 1930s, even the 1940s, where there wasn't much football, yes. um, they still got to the final of the War Cup. Okay. Um, what was the War Cup? It was uh, a competition for clubs to play. Obviously, there wasn't the FA Cup or the league. Right. Um, but it's a cup final. But it was still a fairly prestigious uh, trophy. Okay. But then, yeah, ever, ever since then, um, often just won a decade. The 1980s just won, but it was the um, European Cup final, which I believe they won. Mm. Um, good to see a Midlands team winning the European Cup, isn't it, Nick? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a good day out for Villa. They deserve the win, really. I mean, Leicester, it's a strange one, but Leicester... Villa created so many good chances down Leicester's right-hand side. Mm-hmm. And, we, and this pod regularly in the last few weeks, we've been praising Ricardo Pereira. But he didn't have a particularly good game. And, and it felt like Rogers' kind of tactical tweaking over the last month or so has really not worked out for Leicester. And the, they've kind of you know lost, lost their edge a little bit. Well, mm. they, I think they, they kind of shot this one in the first leg. They kind of, the, 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 the tactical tweaking really kind of actively harmed them in that, that game. They kind of played three at the back mm. for no particular reason Rogers admitted he got the team selection wrong and during that game 1-1 when they should have really kind of put Villa outside Villa at that point had a lot of injuries they didn't have a striker they were playing this kind of fudged forward line with three wingers and at the time there was this kind of vibe that it doesn't really matter we've we've drawn the first leg but we're so much better than Villa will beat in the second leg anyway but uh, as it turns out it, it was a kind of huge missed opportunity that first game right 43 shots across the two legs only two goals for less than Brendan Rodgers losing a domestic cup game for the first time in five years. The last team to beat him in a domestic cup game, who were they? Aston Villa. That's right, Nick. Yeah, the FA Cup semi-final 2015. Mm. As mentioned there with Dan, Villa heading to Bournemouth at the weekend. Uh, Villa currently two points clear of the bottom three, which currently features the Cherries. So a huge game that. On a weekend of huge relegation scraps, because West Ham-Brighton, that's going to be big. We'll be hearing more about the Hammers very shortly indeed. After this, how about we get on to the weekend? You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. It's Premier League match week 25 this weekend with Liverpool now 19 points clear. They have a lead of 19 points which is bigger than Norwich's points total, to mm. put that in perspective. 
They've already got more points this season than Liverpool themselves in 17 previous Premier League campaigns. Right. And it's still technically January and actually January. Right. I can confirm it is still January. Still January. Uh, That's not very tight, but things are tighter below the top four where Man United, Wolves and Spurs are 5th, 6th and 7th, but all level on points. Indeed, there's only four points separating everyone from Man United in 5th all the way down to Newcastle in 14th. Wow. Wow. It's going to be rich in drama uh, this weekend, I'm sure. Uh, Let's start, though, Nick, with a little bit of league action from Wednesday night. London Stadium, West Ham hosting Liverpool. You were there to witness a result as routine as brushing your teeth or putting the bins out, in your words. Yeah, it, it was um, kind of boring, really. It was... <laughs> Liverpool was... Okay. Liverpool was so... There was no sort of tension to the whole thing at all. Liverpool were so much better than West Ham that it was kind of inevitable that they would get a couple of goals at some point. That said, there were a couple of pretty special saves from... Yeah, uh, t- kind of towards the end, West Ham kind of chiselled out a couple of chances and Alisson having... And uh, Jurgen Klopp kind of mentioned this at, at the end of the game. Alisson had very little to do all night and then kind of had to wake up a couple of times towards the end and make these saves. But the other thing that Klopp said at the end was, uh, or after the game was that he, he said the hardest thing that Liverpool had to do was basically maintain concentration while they're so dominant. So he, he, what he was basically saying is the only thing that can kind of stop them now is them getting bored during games. Right. That they're so good and they're so much better than anyone else that they could just you know, be overcome with a sense of tedium and not not actually, you know, win the games anymore. Among the things that were there to excite you, Nick, a great night for Mo Salah. Yeah, uh, he scored a penalty, delicious pass for uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's mm. goal. Um, sure, most kind people, of delicious pass. Well, I'm sure most people have seen it by now, but it, it, it was outside the left foot, curled round and behind the defence. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain then made a sort of diagonal run in front of the one remaining defender and didn't really have to break stride to score. Right. Was that the first goal he scored away from home, Mo Salah, this season? Uh, it's his, uh, that's his second goal, second league away goal this season. The other one he scored at Bournemouth okay. in right. December. He's now won 30 Premier League games in a row, um, wow. w- which is more than Declan Rice has ever won in his career. So slightly unfair comparison. I did enjoy you pointing out, though, you mentioned points totals mm. and that. Liverpool have already won more Premier League games than United's treble winners did in 98-99. Yes. And it's still technically January. Yes, yeah. I mean, it led to a debate as to what suggests a difficult season for a team. Is it a season where it's a relatively low points total for the winning team, so it's been a bit of a scrap? Or is it a massive, like we've seen recently, City getting 100 points and then uh, 98 last season? Is that more indicative of a a stronger Well, what constitutes a difficult season for West Ham is being down in 17th place, just one goal of goal difference now, above uh, the bottom three and in their words a potentially disastrous drop down to the championship they just posted record losses there has been some talk that the mood was turning ugly at the london stadium how did it sound to you nick it didn't really sound ugly it just sounded kind of slightly apathetic i don't think anyone there really obviously kind of expected them to get anything out of this game and david moyes was actually quite pleased with how they played afterwards so it's kind of you know if you, I suppose at this point, if you're West Ham and you keep Liverpool down to just 2-0, then that's a, sort of a result. There was a lot of talk of you know taking positives and whatnot afterwards. Right. So. I mean, the only thing you can say is that Fabianski made a number of excellent saves and the fact that he's back is possibly their biggest uh, biggest card to play in the relegation battle. He's probably the, the best keeper in the bottom half of the table, I'd say. Yeah, the, the only two kind of moments of really much animation at all from the home crowd was early on in the game, Fabianski looked like he had gone down injured again mm. and everyone just kind of held their breath a little bit. And the only other one was when um, Manuel Lazzini was substituted and this was greeted with the, your you know your classic sarcastic cheers uh, from the home crowd who don't seem particularly happy with his efforts at the moment. All oh, right, okay. Well, a huge game coming up this weekend for West Ham. As I say, they're right on the edge of the bottom three. Only two points above them, though, are Brighton, who will be visiting the London Stadium on Saturday at three o'clock. Brighton have a terrific record in the Premier League against West Ham. They've played them... Doesn't five- everyone... Well, (laughs) Brighton have uh, played them five times and they've never lost. In fact, the Hammers have led for just four minutes across those five Premier League games with the Seagulls. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's not ideal, and I think most people have at least managed to lead against Brighton for a bit of time in their, in their spell in the top flight. So it's uh, it's not looking good. I guess the one bit of hope for West Ham is that um, February is their traditional best month in is the it? Premier League. Yeah, they've got a 42% win rate in February, but I mean, that is it's the shortest month. Brackets less short this year for leap year fans out there. Right. But, um, Incidentally, four yes. players in Premier League history have got the f- birthday of uh, February the 29th. Who are they? Scott Goldborn is one. Um, can't remember the others, but yeah. <laughs> Apropos of, of nothing. I mean, maybe maybe West Ham should, should sign some of them. Who they have signed, Duncan, is Thomas Suchet of Slavia Prague, yeah. who was uh, very much key to their enterprising run in the group stages this year. And they went very deep in the Europa League mm. last year as well they when they did, knocked they? out Chelsea. Sevilla. Uh, they gave and a lot Chelsea of people, knocked them out. Sorry, yeah. yes, yeah. they gave a lot of people a hard time in what was a very difficult group with Barcelona, Dortmund, and Inter. Mm. Um, Suchek, uh, I remember particularly in the two games against Inter, was very good, kind of helping their press, but also just screening the defence to stopping their opponents getting out. Right, as you saw this kind of unfancied Slavia team pin their opponents back. Um, and also, you know, back in the Czech Republic, gets an awful lot of goals from midfield, Suchek. The, the kind of goal ratio that you'd expect from a striker rather than a midfield player. Goal ratio, like 10 in 19 games. <sighs> also, I saw late, late last night that West Ham were being linked with Solomon Kalou, which seemed mm. a bit of a roll of the dice. So he's a transfer that might be made possible by the arrival at Hertha Berlin. A former Milan favourite, Christoph Piontek. Yeah, someone who'd been uh, floated around or marketed to Premier League clubs, uh, notably Spurs. I think West Ham as well, but too expensive. Uh, I'd forgotten that Kalou was still playing, yeah. to be fancy. He does sound like a sort of triple A West Ham signing. I mean, it does feel very West Hammy. I mean, for me, Kalou's greatest achievement, he's got the highest number of goals of anyone in Premier League history with an even split of home and away. We're talking about Mo Salah a minute ago. 18 at home. 18 away. That's the sort of consistency West Ham could do with, really. What about uh, how many of those goals came in February? <laughs> I'll get back to you. Okay. Okay. It's a huge game this weekend. Even if it doesn't sound like we're taking it seriously, Brighton turning up at West Ham. Brighton have only won one of their last nine Premier League matches. Clearly, uh, they're also in a bit of a desperate predicament. As for Liverpool, things a bit brighter for them. Uh, they are 19 points clear, as we mentioned, winning everything left, right and centre. And they take on Southampton this weekend, whom they have won their last five Premier League encounters against, scoring 13 goals in those games and conceding just two. Crikey. But Southampton have uh, won their last four Premier League away games, mm. I see. So, you know, very much in the balance, this one. Yeah, Liverpool's Liverpool, record. I mean, terrible at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, pre- just presenting the facts to you, James. Right. Going for their 20th home win in a row. Um, I mean, I, the only thing you can say for Southampton is they're possibly the best spoiling team in the Premier League this season. The six games with the overall lowest pass completion in the Premier League this season have all involved Southampton. So they were very adept at kind of making a game a bit kind of uh, dirty. Uh, so that's probably their best option. Dirty Saints. Mm. Anyway, all right, well, after this, transfers. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Back to Basics wants to know, from the new signings to join the Premier League, who excites you the most? And who are you most disappointed about from the deals that didn't materialise? That's a question, isn't it? Nick. Mm. Uh, for, for no particular reason, I like, quite like the idea of Stephen Bergwijn. Yeah, that, I was going to say that uh, Tottenham. One. I, I quite like the transfer in that it's not the sort of player that Tottenham particularly need, but they kind of bought him anyway. Um, Do you think? Yeah. They, 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 you know, their pressing need is a, a, a centre-forward, which who may be coming in, possibly Olivier Giroud. Right. Giroud. Just been hanging around. Thought he was going to Inter, and then they went cold on him. It's just like, oh, I quite, I, I, I quite, do. No, quite. If he is interested in moving to Spurs, I quite like him paying absolutely no regard to the sort of inter-London rivalries. You know, he's some, doing a reverse William Gallas in many ways. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, Bergwijn's a, a prospect, and obviously massively highly thought of uh, in uh, the Eredivisie, where he's is that been. What you've you've heard it on the on the Bergwijn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Giroud's another one to 
whip up the emotions. Danny Rose going to Newcastle. Did you see that? Yeah, that pleased me. Newcastle, obviously, um, one of Andy Thorne's former clubs. Uh, they'll be the first club to field at some point, Thorne and Rose, which is a nice, nice touch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Barcelona, sadly, seeing their bid for Richarlison. Well, Barcelona seem to be preparing very much for the post-Messi future by turning into kind of Manchester United scattergun approach. And yeah, they're, apparently they're bidding for Willian as well now. Um, so they're just on a spree. Right. And some talk that Dries Mertens might be pitching up at Stamford Bridge, James. Yeah, well, Dries' contract is up at the end of the, of the season. And He's very much one of the players who's been told he can do one, though, by De Laurentiis, the owner. Well, Dries would like to stay... Right. Um, he's got other offers in Italy, um, notably from from Inter. But in terms of if he stays in Serie A, it will be with Napoli. But Napoli, one of the busiest teams in the January transfer window, very much preparing for next summer when it feels like there will be a big clear out. Um, but yeah, Dries had an offer, I think, from Dortmund, who have subsequently gone for Haaland, and has an offer from uh, Chelsea at the moment. I think the issue there is that Napoli have tried to bring in another striker in January and have failed so far. Um, And they have said to Chelsea, look, you can sign him, pay us that money, but you've got to loan him back to us. Mm. And they're like, well, we can kind of just get him for free in the summer. Why would we pay not to have him now? So... There's a bit of an impasse there as we record. Okay, Arsenal are busy. They brought in uh, Pablo Marie. Yes, the uh, kind of brief will-he-won't-he transfer that seemed to be off again and on again and was was on. Who's who's been in the Man City network, so maybe Arteta knows him from that. Yes, perhaps, yeah, and um, has been at uh, Flamengo in Mm -hmm. Brazil. Played Liverpool in the World Club thing. Indeed, the World Club thing. Yeah. Proudly displayed in the Liverpool treasury. I like that, though, like a, a Spanish... Defender 26, who's been playing in Brazil. I mean, yes, yeah. that sort of thing just doesn't happen well, all that hipster. often. Right? Yeah, it's very hipster. I like right. it. And they might uh, they might back that signing up with the Cedric Suarez from Saints. Ooh, you're wincing, Duncan. Mm, well, our friend Carl Anker has, has not been impressed by Suarez this season, um, and Southampton are, are willing to let him go out because they've got Kyle Walker-Peters in. But then I guess Arsenal are below Southampton in the league, so that's kind of the way that transfers work, isn't it? (laughs) Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Uh, Although whether they will be after Saints play Liverpool this weekend, we shall see. Uh, We'll talk a bit more about the top four race after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Can anyone catch Chelsea? There they are in fourth. Eight points behind Leicester, who, as fate would have it, they face this weekend. But Chelsea, six points above three sides, Man United, Wolves and Spurs. Interesting fixtures this weekend, Joe. Not only are Chelsea visiting Leicester, but Spurs take on Man City and Man United and Wolves face each other. Crikey. It is crikey. Yeah, Chelsea-Leicester, I remember uh, the start of the season was a, was a good game. A very much a game of two halves, James, with oh, yeah. um, Chelsea... Uh, taking the lead through Mason Mount. Remember, it's seen as kind of an example of the pressing game that Frank Lampard wanted to impose on the team because he stole the ball from Ndidi on the edge of his penalty area. And Chelsea should have been home and hosed by half-time in that game. Instead, they weren't um, because clearly Brendan Rodgers at half-time gave one of those really outstanding um, team talks. And uh, Leicester... I think, uh, in the end, came away from that game, particularly James Madison's influence. You know, we were talking earlier about Grealish. Well, this was very much Madison kind of at his best, Mm. uh, pulling the strings in midfield, influencing things. And I think Leicester felt they should have come away with that game. So if it's as entertaining as that one was back in August, James, it should be a great watch. Fingers crossed. The Foxes with one or two issues at the moment, not only were they beaten Tuesday night in the League Cup, but they've also lost two of their last three Premier League home games. Though they did get a 4-1 win in the other home match against West Ham last Chelsea time have out. a great record um, at the King Power as well. Mm. They've uh, won five of their last seven, and that's you know because they had that tendency of just pinching players from Leicester, I think. Okay, <laughs> all right. Spurs, as I mentioned, taking on Man City in what is their first time they'll be facing each other at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium since the drama in the Champions League, Nick, last season. The the game where City were kind of very much on top. And who scored? Was it Son who scored the, the only goal in that game? 
and yep. Harry Kane uh, got his kind of annual ankle injury. Scenes that won't be repeated uh, anyway this this time around because he, he's not of the of this fixture. Twenty third meeting in all competitions between Mourinho and Pep Guardiola because that yeah that's going to be I'm sure a, a big subtext to this game. Uh, rarely have they come in kind of in quite such an underwhelming fashion, I suppose, because Mourinho the results haven't really been coming for him there at Spurs and City nineteen points off off the lead in the Premier League. Do we think that, that they will Tottenham will play as they did against Liverpool and just kind of you know grimly dig in to limit the damage, or will they actually play football? Who knows. I don't know. I mean, for me, the big thing in this game is that we really need Tottenham to concede a penalty because if this Edison taking penalties thing is going to kick in, then this it has to happen soon. It will get forgotten otherwise. Um, and I really want to see Edison start to take penalties in the Premier League. But Sergio Aguero is fit and, and in form now, so you suspect that won't actually happen. Also back uh, fit and uh, very much playing these days, Amaric Laporte, which is huge for City. Yeah, I mean, he's won 42 of his first 49 Premier League games. Um, the record in their first 50 is also 42 by Drogba, Iron Robin and Edison. So if Laporte plays and Man City win, he'll set a new record. And that I think that just illustrates how crucial and integral he is to that team. You know, when, when he plays, City are solid and creative mm. in equal measure. When he doesn't, you've got... KDB, you know, being exasperated at Otamendi. So right. It really think, is that key. Uh, he was also exasperated after this game back in August because City, and this has been a theme of their, their season, as well as their defensive frailties, if you like, is that they create so much. They had, what, 30 shots against Spurs. They hit the bar. I think Lloris had to make a series of really big saves. And yet Spurs had three shots, two of which went in and they ended up drawing 2-2. Mm. Um, so another time where City, so dominant, and yet weren't able to clinch the deal. De Bruyne was fantastic in, in that game back in August as well. I mean, on, just on that, City this season on XG are 13 goals ahead of any other team in the Premier League. So mm. Liverpool second, unsurprisingly, but the City are 13 ahead. So Liverpool do just enough to get the win. City can be incredible, score six, seven, eight goals, but then often we'll, we'll lose a match. And it is, you know, a, le- a league is won through consistency, um, nice. and that's what Liverpool showing. I've got a curiously good feeling about Spurs in this one. Actually, as you mentioned, they did come away with a result last time out, but City also have uh, have shown something about what you were talking about uh, earlier with uh, Liverpool almost getting bored. Uh, they, they're a little bit in limbo in terms of objectives in the Premier League right now. Yeah, I mean, they're just kind of, they're not going to finish any lower than second. They're not going to finish any higher than second, realistically. They're sort of in this kind of box ticking exercise for the rest of the season. For Tottenham, though, it's the first game of the post Christian Eriksen era, which right. Jose Mourinho has obviously kind of darkly hinted has been this black cloud hanging over the, the, uh, the club for the past six months or something like that. Now that is lifted, the mood will also lift and, you know, maybe they'll be free to express themselves. Now this situation has, is not bogging them down anymore. The prospects look bright going forward. Los Celso looking like he could be a really a valuable player to build a, a midfield around. And, and, and Bergwijn, as we mentioned, a very dangerous uh, threat coming in off the right. Yeah, and if they do get some kind of centre-forward in before the weekend... It sort of makes sense in Jose Mourinho's team to have the big man up top. There's, as well as Giroud, there is kind of talk of another bid for William Jose, um, I believe. So who knows whether that will actually come to fruition. But yeah, the, the things do look a little bit brighter for Tottenham. Okay. All right. about transfers, which really catch the eye. Yeah. Sheffield United just closing a deal for Sander Berg. Right. The Norwegian midfielder from Genk, uh-huh. um, who for quite some time in the last couple of years has been generating quite a lot of hype. Certainly been linked with a lot of very good clubs um, in Italy, like Fiorentina and that sort of thing. 21 years old, towering midfielder, six foot three. Interesting signing there. I like it. And there was also a lot of hype around him on, I think it was Tuesday, when uh, there were reports that Manchester United were trying to gazump the deal because wow. because he'd apparently been spotted going into Carrington. Uh-huh. And as it turns out, it was just a 15-year-old reserve goalkeeper who looked a bit <laughs> like him. Right. And uh, someone had just gone. Is this what United's transfer strategy is just like trying to gazump <laughs> kind of West and South Yorkshire clubs but it, it at was, the last minute? It was yeah. just someone who who kind of was peering through the window of a car and just went a bit early and decided <laughs> that it was this this guy. But it, as it turns out, it wasn't. Tricky thing trying to stay ahead of the news yeah. as transfer deadline day rolls around. Man United, meantime, are taking on Wolves. It's late on Saturday. 
Duncan, we've talked a lot about clubs getting their first win at Old Trafford since time immemorial. Mm. Um, what, what's the situation there vis-a-vis Wolves winning away at Man United? Yeah, Wolves one of the clubs who haven't ended their Old Trafford hoodoo recently. Right. Um, they haven't won there since uh, 1980. Okay. Um, or since Pac-Man came out, depending on delete is applicable. Um, and obviously, if you like seeing overrated icons running in straight lines, etc., etc. Um, but uh, yeah, this seems like a good opportunity, you'd think, for Wolves to... Uh, right. I mean, it's classic United, you know, a couple of steps forward, it's time for another step back, you feel, right. in the narrative. I, but Wednesday in itself was a step forward and a step back at the same time, well, because yeah, that, they won and yeah, went out of the cup. That's the cup. Um, if you are a commentator preparing your intro for this game on Saturday, you might like to know that Too Much Too Young by the specials was number one. Last time Wolves were number one at, at Old Trafford. Mm, how about that? Hard to get a read on Wolves at the moment, no? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they, they've been very low on numbers recently, but mm. they're, they're kind of making some signings. They've... Uh, I'm not sure whether it's actually gone through yet, but they're apparently uh, in the process of signing uh, Daniel Podentz, a winger who was mm. at Olympiacos, who, uh, as a coincidence, is a George Mendes uh, client. Um, so, is that right? So, yeah, Nuno has been quite agitated recently about how, the, how sort of thin his resources are, but now they're getting a few players through the door. Right. Last time we saw Wolves was the game, the midweek game against Liverpool, when they were terrorising Liverpool's bat line, or at least Adama Traore was. How do you fancy... Man United's chances against him, Nick. Well, I mean, Adama Traore again. The, the prospect of him running at Luke Shaw is a terrifying one. So maybe, maybe Luke Shaw won't play. Maybe Brandon Williams will play. Mm. Well, just, is that any more comforting to you? Uh, a little bit, right. not much. Probably won't be very comforting to either Shaw or Williams. I mean, to go back to the Pac-Man theme, the bit where you can eat the special one bit and start flashing and eat the ghosts is possibly what it feels like to play football as Adama Traore. Brilliant, yeah. You could. I mean, if younger listeners who've never played Pac-Man will be unfamiliar with the sensation. On a less Pac-Man orientated note, anything you wanted to throw at us, James? On well, this? actual detail, yeah. Um, James, is that when Traore came on in the reverse fixture, he did actually come on, change the game because mm. he was running at shore that time, won a free kick, and it was from that free kick that Wolves got back into the game. And yeah, he was... Not, I'd say, cutting inside at will, but certainly was uh, giving a Wolves side that had uh, failed to create anything to trouble United. He was troubling them. You remember that uh, United, that was at the start of the season where Pogba decided that he wanted to take the penalty over Rashford. And oh, there was yeah. that discussion, and then he saw his penalty saved. Was it this game here? It was, yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Feels like right. a long time ago. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, much like the start of this podcast, eh, listen? <laughs> right. There's still loads more to come, though. We've got big games down the bottom end of the table. Also, after this, quick bit of championship news from Nick Miller. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Championship news. A full round of fixtures on Tuesday night. Nick, what happened? Leeds came up from 2-0 down uh, against Millwall to right. win, and uh, they went... Top of the table above uh, West Brom, who continued their soiling of the bed. Those two teams had been so far clear that it was almost not worth talking about anyone else, but um, West Brom now uh, haven't won in the last six. They've lost the last two. Wow. They're now uh, in second place. Nottingham Forest. Nottingham uh, Forest, Nick, you say? Mm, Nottingham mm. Forest. Uh, they beat Brentford 1-0. Right. Very scrappy game by all accounts, but uh, they are now... Just two points behind just West two Brom. Points. Wow, it's all getting very real. I, yeah, and how does that make Forest fans feel? Uh, s- sort of nervous. Uh-huh. Don't like to get. Uh, I don't think I, I can't speak for everyone, but don't like to get our hopes up. You you put a, a tweet out uh, asking f- how people who aren't Forest supporters feel about Forest going up and why it is that that, uh, that they are they they're held in such regard. Which to me seems a bit obvious. Why? What kind of reactions did you get, though? Well, it, uh, I think the, the reactions you'd expect—it's all kind of sort of nostalgia for the the times when Forest were good and won European cups, and even when they weren't winning European cups and just had a lot of kind of players that you associate it with early years of the the Premier League. And mm. indeed, last you, Bohemian. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Ian Wone, your Scott Gambles, that that sort yeah. that that sort of uh, thing. And uh, yeah, I did put that tweet and then shamelessly turned it into content for the uh, totallyfootballshow.com. Okay. And there is a piece uh, on the website now based around that idea about how sort of fuzzy nostalgia makes people want Forrest to be in the Premier League. Okay. Yeah, just you'll just write anything to take your mind off off, off the 
the reality of what might be about to happen. Extraordinary. Yeah. How long has it been? It's been 21 years. Mm. 1999 was the, the last time Forrest were relegated. Crikey. Is that the Pierre van Hooydonk? Uh, no, that was... It was It was the, the Pierre van Hooydonk strike season. Also, of course, featuring the 8-1 defeat to Manchester United and famously Ron Atkinson getting in the wrong dugout against Arsenal. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, there's a Totally Football League show that's out right now, hosted by Matt Davis-Adams, in which they round up all uh, the Tuesday night action from the Championship and all the uh, Football League news. Uh, I'm sure featuring in there is Wayne Rooney scoring his first goal for Derby as they lost away at struggling Luton. Yes, some uh, some strident takes from Adrian Clark on that show about uh, how, well, Wayne Rooney may have scored, but uh, Philip Koku, their manager, is no good, according to Adrian Clark, and uh, they should probably make a change. Who would take over, I wonder? <laughs> Up next, we're looking at the sides, trying to steer well clear of all that championship business, the battle at the bottom. Listener, the essential guide to what's happening this weekend continues as we tackle the drama at the bottom and some other stuff too. As I mentioned before, five teams in the relegation scrap separated by just two points. Watford, Bournemouth, West Ham, Villa and Brighton. So Villa visiting Bournemouth and uh, West Ham have Brighton. Amongst the other teams down there, Norwich go to Newcastle. Where there's been so many goals. Lost two meetings between these two teams at St James's Park. You had a 4-3 win for Newcastle and a 6-2 victory for the Magpies. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you can't imagine that many goals this time given Newcastle's reliance on defender goals this season. Already 12. Um, I kind of looked at this fixture and thought, oh, it feels like a very easterly fixture, this, doesn't it? Norwich, Newcastle. Had a look at a map. No. What do you mean easterly? Because they're both on the eastern side well, of the yeah, country. Yeah, but but what transpired? Look, using maps, that Newcastle was further west than Oxford, which that is remarkable, isn't it? Because of the way the the, the plant the country's well, tilted. yeah, but then even further, Bristol, right, yes. is further east than Edinburgh. Then that that's the one when I just closed down the maps and said, <laughs> the maps lie. I don't believe this, but it's true. So there you go. Extraordinary. Wow, this new learning amazes me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Aston Villa returning to another fixture just because it's a curious stat Aston Villa who are at Bournemouth are the only team James this season yet to score a headed goal in the Premier League wow no team before you ask has ever gone a whole season without scoring a header in the Premier League will they be the first do you think that was you know when Dean Smith was making his targets for the season right that was go the whole season without a top one yeah yeah maybe well, Jack Grealish doesn't like his hair getting messed up as no. we it's true. did you see Hatton Ben Arthur um, ah. He signed for Valladolid yes. um, and was doing keepy-uppies and they said, can you do some uh, headers as well? Mm. And he was like, no, I don't want to mess up my hair. So, I mean... There you go. Each of Newcastle's... Re- Knowles. Returning to Newcastle Norwich, each of Newcastle's last three Premier League goals have come when? In the 90th minute or later. Mm. Watford are taking on Everton. Uh, Watford's last Premier League outing was that last gas defeat at Villa. 10 days ago, which uh, saw them return to the bottom three. In the other fixtures, Crystal Palace hosts Sheffield United. Yeah, Palace, they feel like they're they're not quite in the relegation battle, but they're not far off it. And I think Palace fans are hoping this transfer window would have been a bit more mm. productive. If, you, if you'd gone to all Palace home games in the Premier League this season, you'd have seen your team, brackets Crystal Palace, score before half-time once. And it just, that feels very indicative of their season. It's just not quite got going. Um, they've got the oldest team on average in the Premier League this season, 29 years. Manager on average as well. Very much so. Um, it feels like the, this is the, particularly if Zahar goes next summer, this is the end of this iteration of Palace. Do you think? Mm. Only Watford have scored fewer goals than them in the Premier League this season. Palace is signing uh, Nathan Ferguson from West Brom. Okay. Fullback, 19 years old, who um, AC Milan were very keen to sign. So Palace have, uh, Palace have beaten Milan to the signing of a young English fullback. Nice. There's also still lingering talk that they might be signing Yannick Carrasco as well. I don't know whether that's kind of going to happen, but he's currently in China and reports are that his club are playing hardball. But Have you heard that from a Tarasco source? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Some extraordinary work uh, on the transfer front. Thanks, everybody. Uh, also this weekend, and this is a fixture that uh, evokes strong emotions, Burnley taking on Arsenal. 
which you kind of think would be the kind of fixture where Arsenal would struggle. And yet, Duncan? No, not at all. You'd be wrong, wouldn't They've you? They've won their last 10 league games against Burnley. They're actually Burnley's bogey team. They are. Yeah, I mean, I think there's this kind of muscle memory of Arsenal for that period when they struggled just for a couple of seasons away at Bolton. And, and won... Stoke. Yeah, and Stoke. And people have extrapolated that there's any trip north of the Watford Gap is carnage for Arsenal. But absolutely no problem. The biggest problem they've had in this fixture in recent years, 2016, October, um, the train carrying a lot of Arsenal fans going up there hit a herd of cows and a lot of fans missed missed the match. Right. And curiously, that game... I think it probably... I mean, the cows fared worse in the exchange. There was some beef, yeah. Um, the, the, curiously, as the game then took place, Burnley... Sean Dyche's Burnley, aggressive, in-your-face Burnley, only conceded two fouls in the whole match, which is the fewest Burnley have ever conceded in a Premier League game. So I don't know whether that was a kind of gesture to the cows or whether it was just they didn't couldn't get into the game. But yeah, another easy... It's unheard of. <laughs> heard it on the bovine. Right. <laughs> no, um, two strikes. Two strikes, James. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Arsenal are fresh from that win that we mentioned a long time ago at the start of this podcast. In the Cup, 2-1 at Bournemouth. Also, they've got, and this is huge, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang back from suspension. He has scored seven goals in four Premier League appearances against Burnley. So that's good. True, although they haven't lost any of the games where he's been missing this season. Hmm. And obviously, uh, Martinelli is the is the new darling of the Arsenal fans, um, looking to be only the fourth player um, in Premier League history, age under 19, to score in three games in a row. And the other three, and this is a bit of a kind of haunting look at how players can start very well and maybe not achieve what they looks like they were going to do, are Michael Owen, so reasonable mm-hmm. career, um, Francis Jeffers and Danny Kadamatri. Those are the fixtures this weekend in the Premier League. Very shortly, we'll be answering some of your questions. First, though, Paddy Power. Hello everybody, this is producer Ben. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's look ahead to the Premier League this weekend, starting with Arsenal at Burnley. Now, according to statistics, Arsenal always beat Burnley. So, are Arsenal going to beat Burnley? So it seems. I actually genuinely didn't know Arsenal had a hoodoo over someone like this. I thought they were only ever the victims of such things. So it is nice. And they are, as you might expect, favourites for this one. They're odds on, but only just to win at 10-11. to 11. They're clearly very welcoming hosts to 11-4 to 4 to get the three points, and the draw is 5-2. to 2. All right, moving on. Wolves haven't won at Old Trafford for over 40 years, but can they do it this Saturday? Blimey. I remember when records like these were falling almost every week under David Moyes. They can't mean left, surely, but we do think this one will continue. United at home are not odds on to win the game, and that's indicative of their current situation, although perhaps not the only thing. It's 11-10 to 10 for a Red Devils win, 5-2 to 2 that Wolves break their winless jinx, and 11-5 to 5 that is a draw. And finally, Liverpool versus Southampton. A huge ask, but Saints have won four of their last five on the road. Can they make it five out of five? Can Danny Ings do something against his old team? Hmm. How do I stretch the word no out for half a minute? Perhaps the numbers say it best. Liverpool are 1-4 to four to win this one. Southampton are 9-1. to one. For reference, you can get shorter odds than that on the following things happening. Liverpool to score four more goals, which is 3-1. to one. Mo Salah to score at least twice, which is 7-2, or Jordan Henderson scoring, which is 6-1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Madrid Derby coming up on Saturday at 3 o'clock. It's Real Madrid against Atletico. If you want to watch that on your dodgy stream, you illegal person, you... Midweek, there was drama in the cup, wasn't there? Yeah, Milan cup. continuing their excellent run of form since Ibrahimovic joined and he scored a goal this time he did yeah the lift that Zlatan has uh, brought to Milan I don't think can be underestimated I think we mentioned on Monday's well one of the European shows of how attendances have climbed and also he's just getting performances out of some of his teammates who hadn't really done anything um, up until uh, his arrival players like uh, Ante Rebic Castilejo um, as well. So they're through to the Cup semi-finals after sort of pouring more misery on Torino who'd lost mm. what, by seven goals against Atlanta at, uh, at the weekend were two on up 
going into the, what the final five minutes in this game and then concede in stoppage time and then lose in uh, in extra time uh, to Milan and then Inter uh, also through to the uh, to the semi-finals of the cup. Yeah, Christian Eriksen coming on. Great goal from Barella. Yeah, fantastic goal from uh, from him. And uh, yeah, see if Inter can actually uh, build on all these signings that they've made. Moses came on as well. Yeah. Um, so not an entirely new look Inter, although they are saying that uh, they might start playing 3-4-3 rather than 3-5-2 push the likes of Ericsson or even Alexis up next to the likes of Lautaro and Lukaku. Right. But yeah, a bit Your of a Lukaku's. blow for Inter in uh the disciplinary hearings that were going on with what Lautaro will miss the derby coming right. up against Milan. Um, but yeah, both Milan clubs into the semi-finals. Um, so yeah, Napoli Inter is one semi-final. Milan Juve mm. is the other. So exciting, Nick. Exciting. Also exciting is the news that Nicholas Bentner is going to be in a reality TV show. Uh, yeah, Love Island with his girlfriend Feline oh. Rupstorf. In Scotland, Rangers and Celtic were in action on Wednesday night. They both won. Prior to the game, Rangers striker Alfredo Morelos arrived home to find somebody under his car doing things to it. Police in Scotland are investigating. Crikey. Uh, Let's have a look through the mailbag. Phil says, inspired by West Ham, what is the greatest disparity between the quality of a team and the stadium in which they play? Did you have a suggestion, Duncan? I do, and it was a team... Coincidentally, played at West Ham Stadium and they were called Thames AFC and they played a few seasons in the English League in the early 30s. Tiny team, but they had they played at this kind of old stadium, custom house, had a capacity of 120,000. Really? Yeah. They played at this stadium that had been built for uh, Greyhound and Speedway racing. Okay. So that was obviously very popular for betting and stuff in the 1930s, but they didn't have any of that on at the weekend, so they decided to form this club, and they called it Thames AFC, presumably because they were near the River Thames. Good good blue sky thinking there. And then, uh, yeah, they hardly got anyone to turn up. They weren't very successful. Oh. It was the biggest like club stadium ever in the history of English football, but they, uh, they averaged about 2,500 spectators per game. If you want to see people rattling around the ground, I suggest that's possibly the greatest example ever. If I had a Gary Sparrow-style time machine, I would right. probably go back and watch Thames AFC. Right, you'd be one of the few people doing it. Juve, uh, more recently, when they played Champions League games at the Stadio degli Alpi, which is capacity of, what, about 77,000 or something, would sometimes draw crowds in the kind of, like, four, four figures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wonderful sighting at that stadium as well. You know, you'd obviously find yourself sat and your view obscured by some something something fog yeah football any of those things Duncan while you're at it Arijit would like to know if it's just them or have goals from direct free kicks really reduced in recent months Messi seems to do it regularly but I don't recall says Arijit seeing many free kick goals this season because Messi was so good last season that that sort of stuck in people's mind but if you go back to the last three seasons across the top five leagues in Europe um, conversion rate uh, and goals, direct free kick goals per game in 2017-18, percent conversion, 0.07. Last season, six percent conversion and 0.07. Uh, and this season, conversion rate of six percent and 0.07. So exactly the same. Brilliant. Okay, so exactly the same. Uh, Mark Small, does Italy lose its collective head? And bizarre signings get made on deadline day the way it happens in England. Hell yes. I think there's even more hysteria mm. there than there is here. There's, there's that hotel in Milan, isn't there? Yeah, they've had to move hotels mm. um, because the Atta Hotel, mm. where all these deals take place, they, I think they usually open it up for the final two or three days of the window. Um, the Wi-Fi was terrible. Oh, I see. Um, well, that's important. Nina Ryla was walking around... Yeah, sort of swearing. Well, and so all clubs do the, their deals in the same place. All, yeah, because yeah. you need that proximity. It's kind of a Hotel Babylon vibe. <laughs> and there's lots of um, sort of classic kind of Italian films, usually around football, where every club has its own kind of room or booth or, or and that sort of thing. And you go in, you do meetings, and then there's kind of, you know, sort of people throwing contracts in the air and all that sort of thing. But that has just started. It's at the Sheraton this time, if you're ever, you know, in... Milan, I think it's the Sheraton in the city rather than the one at Malpensa. Okay. But yeah, no, they, they go crazy, uh, much more so than they do. And it's actually much more interesting, I think, over there because clubs tend to panic. And I mean, 
Fiorentina aren't panicking, but they're about they're like signing like ten players as we speak. Um, so they live for it. It's not like Germany where it's mm. done. You know. Not like Germany, no. says James Horncastle. Yep, thank you. Fantastic. That brings us to the end of today's show. Looking forward to hear what late transfer deals there are in Italy and the UK ahead of the Friday 11 o'clock deadline. We'll be back on Sunday evening to round up that and, of course, the weekend's action ready for you on Monday morning in the Totally Football Show. Many thanks to you, James Horncastle. Pleasure, James. And Nick Miller. Thank you, James. And Duncan Alexander. Thank you. And you, listener, to you. Uh, we'll be back, as I say, bright and early Monday morning. Do have a good weekend till then. From us all, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we're the Series Linked Podcast. Subscribe to our channel for all of the biggest TV interviews. And to stay on top of all the latest telly. It said Gervais sometimes fluffs his lines. Like I'd have left them in. It's a stunning place to shoot. I like put something up on Instagram and there's somebody a post going, oh, you, look at you, lazy-eyed, you're ugly, aren't you? And on the way in upcoming episodes, we speak to Imelda Staunton, David Baddiel, Carl Pilkington and many more. Just search for Series Linked. That's Series Linked. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. Ruby is the expert, Tom holds it together and Paddy, well, Paddy's funding the whole thing so he insisted that he gets to be involved. (laughs) The first episode is available to download now. Muddy News Media.